0: Welcome to the Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from the Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon.
1: You know, guys, on Sunday mornings here, we've been uh, going through the Gospel of Luke Looking at uh, Jesus' earthly walk, that's why we've called it Earth Walk, and as we've been going through the Gospel, uh, specifically we're looking at the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and, and and really the last part of Luke, from chapter 19 on, really deals with the last week of Jesus' life. And right now in chapter 22, we're dealing with the night in which he is betrayed, goes through all the trials, and then the next day is Crucified. And so we're going to talk about that today and try to gain some things from it. And so what we're going to see is is that what I want you to understand is, is that when we talk about what's getting ready to happen, when we talk about the betrayal by Judas, when we talk about being arrested in the garden and being beaten and then taken before mock trials and, and then being savagely whipped and beaten by the Roman soldiers and, and then ultimately being taken... To a hill outside of Jerusalem and being crucified on a, on a cross. These are not things that just kinda happened. These are not things that Jesus wasn't aware of. These are not things that, while they are tragic, are not meaningless. They're for a purpose. And what we're gonna see is, is that Jesus understands from the very beginning What's going to happen to him? In fact, he tells them what's going to happen to him. Isn't that interesting? You ever done that with somebody? I'm going to go to Walmart. I'm going to spend at least 15 minutes looking for a parking place. I'm going to go in and not find a cart. Go to the section I want to buy something in and there's no clerk around. Then when I want to check out, their lines are going to be so long and they're going to tell me go over to the electronic thing, which I don't know how to use. I mean, do you tell people things like that? That's what's going to happen to you during your day? I mean, Jesus is telling us things like that, except he's telling us things concerning his death. And so what I want you to see with me, we're going to look in chapter 22, we're going to look at verses 7 through 20. He's going to introduce to them what we know as communion, or the Lord's Supper. But it's all a foreshadowing for them. It's all Luke wants us to see is, It's it's a time for them to understand that something different is about to happen. And he's very much aware of it, very much knowing what's going on. In fact, he kind of directs things. Look with me at verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat. And so he said to him, where do you want us to prepare? And he said to them, behold, when you enter a city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters. Then you shall say to the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And then he will show you a large furnished upper room. There, make ready. So they went and found it just as he said to them, and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him, and then he said to them, With fervent desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks Take this and divide it among you. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God has come. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which was given for you, this do in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. What we're going to see here, folks, is we can basically divide this passage up into two sections. We're going to see here, first of all, a divine appointment. It's pretty interesting when you look at what Jesus is saying here. And then we're going to look at a time to remember. A divine appointment and a time to remember. All of it is Jesus getting ready to die. So let's talk about the divine appointment. First of all, he directs the events. He directs the events. He is directing everything that's going on. And they're saying, okay, it's Passover time. What do you want us to do? Jesus says, I want you to go prepare a place. Where do you want us to do it? That's a natural question. It usually, isn't that what we do if somebody tells you, I want you to go take this and take it. Where do you want us to put it? Put it over there. And so they're like, okay, I want you to go prepare for the Passover, which is a huge meal. To understand the significance of it in our culture would be like a Christmas dinner or a Thanksgiving dinner, something significant that the whole family gathers around, because it's a significant event, the Passover, in the life of Israel. What do you mean significant? Well, it was to commemorate when they came out of Egypt. And so what happens is, is he says, okay, I want you to go prepare like Where do you want us to do it? Well, here's what Jesus says. Isn't this interesting? He says, well, I want you to go in town, and you're going to see a guy walking by with a water pot. Now listen up for a moment. You're in a culture where there's no running water. Everybody's hauling their water with what? Water pots. Well, you're going to see a fellow with a water pot. You're going to follow the guy with a water pot. He's going to go to a house. And as he enters into the house, you're going to ask him, you're going to say to him, the master has need of a place for the Passover. And he's going to show you a big upper room that's already furnished, ready for a meal. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Does that happen every day with you? I joked about the Walmart thing, but in this circumstance, this is something totally unusual. What's going on here? Jesus is a directing events, He's directing the events of what's going to take place here. He knows what's going on. In fact, look at the next thing there, He knows everything that will happen. Now just stop for a moment. We're reading it and we know the outcome of it. But if you were there and Jesus told you this, I want you to go into town and you're going to see a guy walking by with a water pot. I want you to follow him as he enters into his house. Tell him the master has need of a place for the Passover and he's going to, how many of you would do that? I mean, yeah, you would go into town and you would look for maybe some dude walking by with a water pot, and you might follow him, but how many of you have enough gumption to go up and say, hey, the master has need of a place for the Passover? Would you do that? Now, some of you might, just kind of curiosity. I'm going to tell you, I'm a chicken. No, not me. I ain't doing that. I'll send Lori in. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, you know what I'm saying? I'm not doing that. Okay. Jesus knows everything that's going to happen. I become like worried. What if he says no? Well, I must have got the wrong guy with the water pot. (laughs) Did you know what I'm saying? Jesus knows everything. And here's what happens. Look at what happens. Everything happens just as he says it will. Now, you might be saying, okay, that's a nice story about divine appointments, George. What's the purpose in it? Well, I think the writer Luke is doing something here because he wants to communicate something to you and I as we read this, especially as we get moving on from this point on. Jesus knows everything that's going to happen to him. Everything. It's all because of you and I. Nothing is going to happen to him that he's not aware of. I mean, notice when we get right into the before I suffer. He already knows he's going to suffer. Next week we're going to see, one of you is going to betray me. Do you think that uh, Judas swallowed hard at that pronouncement? Because he probably did his shady dealings on the side thinking nobody knew. He knows everything, and everything happens the way he says it's going to happen. That's a profound point for you and I to understand. And so as we grasp that reality, he then comes into the room, he has the meal with him, and let me explain to you, it's not like our meal, although I wish our meals were like this. It it was a a very, by the time of Jesus' time, it was a serious meal that had like four different courses. And they're like four different cups to drink. And so you notice there, there are two cups that are mentioned in our passage. He took the cup and told him, I've waited and longed to, to be with you. And then later he took the cup after supper. There was certain times when drink would be shared. We see two of them here. One of the times is when he commemorates the blood that would be shed. And so this is a serious meal. Do you know what I'm saying? About the closest I can think of it is it's like, you know, Thanksgiving time. We have the big meal. Usually at, and, and, and the Weaver house, which is where we go and eat, was Laurie's family. And, you know, we have the big meal, and then we have the little meal later, which is the sandwiches with the leftover turkey and the stuffing and all of that. Like two meals in that day. Oh, it's a great day, you know. And uh, is it like that in your place too? Yeah, okay. And then there's the meal the next day, you know. And Mama's saying we got to get the leftovers out of the kitchen, you know what I'm saying. Okay, all right. That's, that's how good kind of meal here it's. And, but out of this meal, which is commemorating a salvation of a people, He creates a new meal to talk about a new salvation. A new covenant. So let's look at it together. First of all, we're going to see this. It's an intimate moment. Look at what Jesus says to them. Verse 14. When the hour had come, he sat down with his twelve apostles. First of all, this is the first time apostles is mentioned here in the book of Luke. Before that, they were called disciples. Now they're called apostles. And he said to them with fervent desire. What does that mean? Fervent with a passionate desire, with with intense emotions. Do, do you know? Do you know what that means? Like you know, you know, when you were dating your honey and you were going out on the date with her, and you were like, you've been working all day, and you know that later on you and her are going to share a burger, you're going to get your burger, she's going to get her salad, and and it's like, who cares about the food? You just want to spend time with them, and you got all those emotions going on with you. I get to spend some time with my sweetie. Remember that? Some of you, like a long time ago, remember that, right? Okay. Well, here's, here's the scoop. Here's what's going on. This is the kind of feelings Jesus is having here. He's, he's having, look at what it says there, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. This is an intimate time. In fact, their whole setup there was intimate. What do you mean? They didn't eat like you and I. You know, when you and I, when we go over to Lori's parents' house, they have a big table that stretches out and the whole clan gathers around the table. In fact, it's still not big enough. We have to have another table for, for the kids to eat out and so forth. And, and And we sit up to the table. That's not the way it was in the ancient culture. They had a low table. And then there would be pillows around the table. And then... How you, you didn't sit at this table, you laid at the table with your feet behind you and you were like laying down into the table. And, and it's, and you've got people right next to you. In fact, the other gospel writers would describe it as John leaning into the breast of Jesus. So he's kind of like laying on Jesus. You ever see teenagers do that? When they're laying around the house, they're all, especially girls, they're always what? Laying on each other. And this is what's happening. It's a very intimate setting. They're laying around the table and they're eating with their hands. They're not eating with a fork and a knife. So they're eating. It's an intimate setting. That's the one thing I want you to see. When we come to the table, Jesus establishes this meal right off the bat. He says it's an intimate time with him. It's not a ritual. My heaven, we made it into a ritual. It's an intimate time and a time with Jesus. He goes on and he says this. Look, He tells them he's going to suffer right off the bat. From the very beginning. In fact, if you go back a few chapters in Luke as they were approaching Jerusalem, he's been telling them this all along. I'm going to suffer. They're going to crucify me. This is what I've been trying to help you to understand. What happened to Jesus was not just some happenstance circumstances. These were things that were meant to be. For you and I for our forgiveness, for our salvation. He did it for us. And so when we come to the table, we're remembering that Jesus knew everything that was going to happen to him. That he would die for us. That he would endure such suffering. Why? So that we would be forgiven and we would be accepted by God. Isn't that an awesome thing? See, so many of us, can I be honest with you? Let me just stop for a moment. I'm going to pause my message for a moment and make a point here. So many of us, when we think about God and how he looks at us, we think about that he looks at us based upon what we have done in the past. Our failures, our mistakes, what we didn't do, what we should have done. The could ofs, the should ofs. So many times we think that way, don't we? We think that God looks at us. Based upon the stuff we do, because everybody else does, right? Remember, you go to a family reunion, grandma says, "I remember when you did that, and that was pretty dumb." And you're trying to forget it, and every time you go to a reunion, somebody's remembering it because grandma keeps remembering it, right? And isn't that the way it is? And so, like your whole existence, and you leave there thinking, oh, "I'm going to always be remembered for that dumb mistake." God doesn't look at you that way. God looks at you based upon what Jesus did. So we've got to remember, He did it for your acceptance, your salvation, your forgiveness. Not based upon what you did or didn't do. It's what Jesus did. And He says, I'm going to suffer. I wanted to meet with you. I want to have this intimate time with you before I suffer. Well, we know that He did suffer. And when we come to the table, it represents what He did for us, the suffering. And then he does two things. He does. He takes the bread, he breaks it. Now, you know, when we have communion, we have a French bread up here. You ever notice that? We have a French bread up here? I'm not sure. Every church has their own thing. I remember we had something different in Canada when we were there. And when I was in South Carolina at my home church, they had something different. It was like little, little square pieces of unleavened bread that didn't taste like anything. But every church does something different, but they always have some sort of bread. In their culture, they had an unleavened bread, so it was a flat bread that could almost be like a cracker. And it was a flat bread, and what he did is he took the bread and he broke it. And when you got a cracker breaking it, you know you broke it. And so he gave it to them, and they were to take a piece of this bread, and he says, look with me, look at what he says there. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. What's he saying here? The bread becomes the symbol of Jesus' suffering. So when you and I take that bread, here's what we're remembering. We're remembering Jesus' suffering. Not just, can I be honest with you, his suffering isn't just the moment on the cross. His suffering is from the moment he's taken in the garden, just a few hours after this, when he's manhandled, beaten by the temple guards, When he's spit upon and slapped, when he's taken to the Romans, humiliated there, given over to their guards and scourged, and how they would do it is with 39 lashes minus one, and not just with a whip, with a cat of nine tails, with stuff embedded in the the cat of nine tails to rip your skin, then to be humiliated even more made to carry your execution thing through town, mocked. If you want to have an understanding exactly of what's going on for him, just read Isaiah 53. 400 years before it ever happens, I think it's 700 years before it ever happens, Isaiah gives us a profound picture of what suffering he would go through. Literally people ripping your beard out of your face. All of that is a symbol When we take that bread of what what happened to him, why? For us. For you and I. For the sins that we've committed. For the little sins, for the big sins. For us. A symbol. And we forget that, don't we? Even when we come to the table, we forget it. It just becomes a ritual. We forget what he endured for us. He did it for us. So the bread becomes a symbol of his suffering. Here's what else he does. He takes the cup, the last cup of the supper, and he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. New covenant. Wait a minute now. What do you mean new covenant? Well, there was an old covenant. Let me explain that to you. The old covenant was the Mosaic law. It was the law that governed the lives of the Jews, and it was really what... What really was the covenant God made with them concerning their relationship with Him? Now let me explain something to you. The old covenant did not include you here. Did not include me and you. Unless you're Jewish here, it did not include us. We were left out of the covenant is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. We were strangers to the covenant. We were far off. But we have been, what Paul would say is we've been brought near by the what? The blood of the Lamb. So when he gives, has this new cup, he says, this is the new covenant. What's the new covenant? That even you and I, Gentiles, would be accepted by God because of what? The sacrifice of Jesus. It represented something completely new. Something completely new. That you would be accepted by Jesus. Little o you, warts and all. Hang ups and all. Mess ups and all would be accepted by God because of what Jesus did. And notice what he said. It is the new covenant in my what? Blood. What does that signify? That he died for you. He willingly went to the cross to die for you. And notice something. You know what? We'll see this later. One of the final words, the final words that Jesus utters is this. It is what, folks? Finished. What does that mean? It's complete. He's done everything. He suffered. He endured. He died so that everything would be complete concerning your faith, your salvation. Is that not awesome? That's what we remember. It's a symbol of the covenant of forgiveness. The cup of Becomes the symbol of the covenant of forgiveness. You ever, you ever get this way sometimes? You ever, you ever mess up? You ever, you ever, you ever wonder? You know, I know, I know when I was a boy I was like this, you know, you mess up and you disappoint mom and dad and you wonder, you wonder sometimes, do, do, do they still love you? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Do, does mom and dad still love you after you, you put a hole through the wall in the hallway and they're really mad at you? Do they still love you? You know, do they still love you after you've done something stupid? Do you, you ever have those... Am I the only one that had those kind of feelings? Maybe I was insecure. I do know this, that you and I as Christians, we often have those feelings with reference to God. You don't need to. Because if you do, you need only look to the cross. Because He did it all on the cross for you. And it becomes a symbol of a new covenant of forgiveness. Your forgiveness is not based upon you, what you haven't done, what you haven't done, how you're feeling that day. Your forgiveness is based upon what Jesus did for you. He died for you. It's complete. It's finished. Is that awesome? Is that not? Doesn't that just lift a burden off of you? That he accepts you? Not because of you? You've got to think about that a while. That will blow your mind. And this is what he's doing. He's, he's, he's saying, I am getting ready to die. I am about to suffer. But I know that, and in the meantime, I'm going to establish something for you guys to remember what I did for you. And that's the Lord's table. So let me close this. I only got one point today. Normally I've got four points or three points or something. And I've only got one point. And it's a question that I want you to think about today. We're not going to close with music. But I want you to think about this. Do you understand what Jesus did for you? Do you understand that? I mean, you could take that question and examine it in several different ways. You know, like, do you understand and realize what he went through for you? And, and of course, that's where our natural reaction is—is is to think about what he went through for us. Okay, so, do you understand what he? did for you. But there's another dimension to that question that I want you to focus on. Okay? Here's what I want you to focus on because it's real easy for us to answer, oh yeah, he suffered. Oh yeah, he died on the cross. No, no. No, I, I understand that. I want you to take it one step further. I want you to take it one step further. I want you to think about the ramifications of what he did for you. What do you mean? I want you to think about the forgiveness What he forgave in your life. I want you to think about the new life he's given you if you know Jesus Christ. The implications of being forgiven and being accepted by him. Warts and all. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because we can sit there and say, oh yeah, I know what Jesus did for me. and Oh, he died on a cross for me. No, no, I understand. We can all do that. Kumbaya. Okay? What I want you to think about is this. What does it mean for you? How are you different because of it? How should you be different because of it? What does it mean to you to know that all the mess-ups in your life are forgiven? What does it mean to you to know that the mess-ups you're going to do are forgiven? Have you thought about that? What does it mean to you to recognize that God accepts you for who you are, period. not because of what you've done or haven't done or who you're not. Who you're, I mean, we could go riddles about who we are. But because of what Jesus did for you. He doesn't look at you because of you. He looks at you because of Jesus. Has that not gripped you? See, this is, see, Jesus didn't just institute a dinner, a meal, what we call communion, just for us to have another ritual to do. He instituted so that we could rethink and remember what it is that happened and who we are now. What do you mean who we are now? Well, the Apostle Paul would said this. We are his workmanship. What does that mean? Well, you know what? If you take that word workmanship, look at what it, what it means in the original language. It, you could translate it this way. We we are his masterpiece. He made you a masterpiece. What's a masterpiece, George? Have you ever been to an art theater? I remember... Uh, Before I went to Liberty, I went to visit my grandparents in Berlin, Germany, and I went to an art museum there, and and I'm looking at a Rembrandt, one of the Rembrandts there. That's one of those famous paintings. Looked no different than any other painting, but I guess it was worth a lot of money. But it was a masterpiece, something special, worth a lot. Like, don't get too close, because you ain't got no money to pay for this if you break it, Okay? This is what he's calling you and I. Have you ever looked in the mirror and said, oh, a masterpiece? (laughs) I doubt it, okay? But that's what Paul says you are. And the reason why you are is because of what he did for you. So do you really understand? That's my prayer for you this morning, that you would understand.
0: Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania.